The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Good morning, church. I'm glad to see your shining faces again this morning on the Lord's Day. I'm thankful that we're gathered together again for worship this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the first chapter of First Timothy, chapter 3. Verses 14 through 16, that's where we'll be this morning, First Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. We're going to close out the third chapter of First Timothy this morning, and then Greg is going to carry us through the remainder of this book uh, throughout the fall. I'll be in there in certain places as well. So we're in First Timothy chapter, chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. Let's pray uh, quickly, and then we'll jump off into what the Lord has in store for us this morning. Father, be kind to us as I aim from a position of weakness to unfold the riches of truth and glory grounded in the joy of gospel living. Place your hand upon us, Father, and draw near to us by way of the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, he's our assurance, and he is our witness to the life to come. Guide us now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the sermon this morning is The Church's Foundation for a dynamic life, the church's foundation for a dynamic life. Said differently, the church is called under Christ, the church is called under Christ to hold forth unique behavior. That's a key word. Write that down. The church is called under Christ to hold forth a unique behavior that is present, a unique behavior in this present world. The church is called under Christ to hold forth a unique behavior that leads to a dynamic life. It leads to dynamic living. This is important. This place, this church, it's not a bump on a log that just hangs out and gets by through navel-gazing. This church is not a one-dimensional gathering of people. This church is called to a particular type of behavior that leads to a dynamic or multi-dimensional life. It is. It's called out. We're called out as the people of God to a unique behavior for a dynamic life. And Paul is going to give us this. He's going to close out the section on the unique behavior of the church, some instruction for the church here in chapter 3. So to the text, here verses 14 and 15 as we launch off into the closing of this chapter here. From the words of the Apostle Paul in verse 14, he says, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things so that to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought, that's an important word, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar of buttress and truth. Look at the word ought there. You hear the word ought here and Paul situates the closing section of this context, of this chapter, in the context of oughtness. I'm going to explain that to you. He uses a particular word here. He's launching us into the closing remarks about this chapter. He's framing everything in terms of oughtness. Oughtness is a natural expectation or duty. Okay, do you see that there? It's a requirement. Listen, requirements are not easy. Duties are not easy. If it were, Paul would have used a different word here. Lots of military folks in this room, you understand what it means to live under duty. You understand this oughtness to your life. It's not easy. Oughtness is not synonymous with the warm and fuzzies. 
It's not. At all times, it's not synonymous with that. This is so important because Paul is telling you throughout the letter, he's giving us all these directives about the church, this unique behavior that we have through leadership and such, particularly in this chapter. But he uses the particular word here, ought. So we've been learning about the way the church should be ordered through prayer, elders, deacons, holding fast to truth, fighting against people that are, that are teaching heresy in the church. With that comes duty. With that comes requirement. With that comes oughtness. But these closing words here in this section, they're beautiful. They're really beautiful because Paul moves us from practical guidance. And then right here at the very end, he gives us some theological reflection. He gives us some theological reflection that's going to be important to us. This is a beautiful, beautiful section. So the question for us is this. What is the foundation of the church? If the church's foundation, it leads to this dynamic life, what is the foundation of the church? What is the foundation that leads to this dynamic life? The first part of the foundation that he gives us right there in the text is this. It's the living God. Right there in front of you. The reason why the church has a dynamic vision for the Christian life is because it is grounded in the living God. It's grounded in the living God. Read verse 15 here with me. It says, if I delay, you may know that one ought, there's the duty, to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Living God, that's an important word for us. The church is not simply the household of God, it's the household of the living God. You understand that? You see that there? This is what enables the church to be dynamic. It's what enables the church to be dynamic. God is the one who gives life. He is real and present in the church. But how is He real and present? If God is living and He's real and present in the church, how is He real and present in the church? The answer to that is through His people in part. The reason the church is dynamic, the reason that God is alive in the church is because of His people. We know that God is living because of His people. We are the church. There are certainly ways in which God are living that I don't have time to deal with today. I'm headed in a specific direction here. There's aspects of the Holy Spirit's work, providence, salvation, all those sort of things. I might maybe see how things go. We might do a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. Things get weird in the church with the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation. So we may talk about that sometime in the winter. But anyway, there's certainly aspects that God is living in the church in that. But in general, you are his people. That's how God is alive in the church. We are his children. We're called to a life of godliness. We're called to a life of holiness. We're called to a life of godliness. Last week, I told you that godliness, this is important to think about this. We, we use all these words all the time. We have no idea what they mean. Godliness is living in a way that makes God known. That's why it's so important. Godliness is living in a way that makes God known. So I want to walk really carefully through something right here, and I hope that you understand it. So how do we have a dynamic Christian life? Well, Paul is calling the church to a dynamic life here. It's because of the living God who is living because of his people. His people make it dynamic because he has called us in ways, called us to live in ways to make God known. He's called us to godliness. God's holiness, this is important if you'll track with me here, God's holiness is not simply about his moral superiority. I'm going to try to teach you something here. What I mean is that when we say that God is holy, 
When we say that He is holy, we do not simply mean that He is pure and without sin and blameless and morally upright. Those are certainly parts of God. But when we say He's holy, what we primarily mean is that He has a separateness about Him. He has a separateness about Him. He wants to be worshipped as a separate and distinct God. That's why we're called to holiness. That's why we're called to godliness. We as His people are called to live in a way that makes His separateness or His distinctiveness known. This is godliness. This is one of the ways in which we and the world knows that God is living. It's through His people that are called to live in a way that makes God known. God is living in the church because of His people. He's living in the church because the people are called to godliness. So God's holiness is not simply about His moral superiority. It's also about His separateness. He wants to be worshipped in a way that makes His separateness or distinctiveness, that makes His uniqueness known in this world. So pump the brakes here a minute. Let's review for a second. The church... It's called to unique behavior, which Paul unfolds in this letter. It's called to unique behavior here. It leads to a dynamic life. I got that, Britta. I understand what you're saying. That dynamic life is framed and it's supported by two things. There's a duty amongst us, but Paul frames it in two things that's right there in the text in front of you. The second foundation, the first foundation is the living God. God is living amongst His people. That's what makes the church dynamic. The second part of that, the second foundation that He gives us is truth. You see that in the words there in front of you? The second thing that Paul frames the church behavior in broadly is this idea of truth. So living is made known through his people through truth, but there's an interconnectivity between these two things. One of the ways in which the church lives in a way that makes God known is by their faithfulness to truth. You understand how he's building on things? He's called us, his people, to be the living God, to participate in godliness in this world. But then he stacks truth right on top of this. He says that one of the ways in which the church lives in a way that makes God known is by our faithfulness to church. Through your faithfulness to truth, the church, his people, this is one of the ways in which we make God known. It's through faithfulness to truth. Do you see that right in front of you? So what is truth? We have to ask the hard questions of the text. What is truth? When we use these words in the church, if you're new to the faith and you're trying to understand what is all this stuff that the church talks about, when we stand up here and say that we should be faithful to truth, what are we talking about? We're talking about the right knowledge of God. The right understanding of God in the way that He has ordered things. That is truth. How do we have a right knowledge of God? This is simple Christianity here. Revelation. Scriptures. God reveals Himself through two ways. He reveals Himself through creation. He reveals Himself through Scriptures. We know that there is a God and we know things about Him because He has revealed it through the Holy Bible. The Bible is the truth. We believe that. God chose to communicate to us knowledge of Himself by way of the Bible. This is what He did. I said this last week, but the mere fact that God even decided to reveal Himself is a grace to us. You understand that? It's based upon His good pleasure and His kindness to us. It is a favor upon your life that He even decided to communicate to us. This is why we love the Bible. It's His grace to you. It's His grace to you. Do you understand that? Have you ever thought, how do I even know what love is? 
How do I even know what love is? You know what true love is because God defines it. He reveals it in scriptures. And then he calls you as his child to live it out in this world. It's very simple. Do you see the pattern there? How do I even know what marriage is? Because God defined it. He defined it. He revealed it through scriptures. And he's called you as his child to live it out in this world if that's part of your story. How do we even know what ch- how church is supposed to be ordered? Because God defined it, He revealed it in Scripture, and He called us as children to live it out in this world. How do we even know what mercy is? You see the pattern here? You understand where I'm going? How do we know what mercy is? Because God defined it, He reveals it through Scriptures, and then as, as children we are called to live that out in the world. Do you see the pattern? God is living because of His people who are given truth by His own good pleasure and called us, out to, called us to live it out in this world. It's not complicated, but it's not easy. It's not easy. We have to uphold truth. We have God's revelation in part because of His blessing to us, but the other part of His blessing as children is that we are called to hold forth truth in the world. This is a massive undertaking of the church. It's the reason it's so dynamic. We are called to uphold truth in this world. Carl F.H. Henry, who has had a massive impact upon my life, he's an old dead guy. He says that it is man, this is so good. He says that it is man that dies, not God, when the truth of truth and the meaning of meaning evaporate. It is man that dies. Not God, when truth no longer becomes truth. Do you understand that? God's status as the living God is not affected by whether you uphold the truth or not. This is a hard truth. Your your status is affected. My status is affected. Whether this church does what God has called it to do, it only affects us. God's standing as holy and separate. It's unaffected. This is what makes this so challenging. He desires it. He wills for this church to do this. He wills for me to uphold truth in my life. But he's under no obligation to uphold that apart from my duty. He's under no obligation to us. Upholding the truth is not easy. It's not an easy task. And it's becoming increasingly more difficult in the world that we live in. You will be marginalized if you hold to truth. I wish I had better news for you. This stuff is not popular in the Bible. I wish I had better news for you. But there's so much joy in it. There's so much satisfaction in life when you hold to truth. It's so much there. A couple years back, it's been maybe three years ago now, Megan and I have a good friend, a close friend of ours, she was pinged, she was contacted about being on the board of a prominent nonprofit that was based in Washington, D.C. Um, it was organized in D.C. There's significant national figures associated with this board. Um, in some ways, it was, it was a flattering request, uh, and it would have been a great move for her. She's a professional lady. It would have been a great move for her internally and externally. It just would have been a really an unbelievable thing in so many ways. So she contacted me as a friend and a pastor um, to discuss the opportunity because as she began to dig into this nonprofit, she realized that there, it might've been about social issues and there was some undertones to it. And it just was a lot going on in all of it. It was originally supposed to be for women in the workplace. It was support working mothers. 
Um, my wife is one of those professional ladies in the workplace. It's originally supposed to be de- leadership development. That's kind of how it was framed. But she pinged me to discuss the matter because she was concerned as she started digging into this stuff. She was concerned that it was about women's rights. And so it was just kind of some questions about how all of it worked and, like, really, what are, what are they all about? And should I be a board member on this? And so my brother, who's two years older than me, he's, uh, he lives in D.C. and he's on the political scene. He's run campaigns all over the country and he was on Capitol he had a job on Capitol Hill as the chief of staff at the time so I pinged him and I said hey what's going on with this group and he gave, he gave me the straight about it and he just told me he's, he's involved in all that and so he gave me the straight on it and he said that really what it was is it was about women's rights and ultimately about abortion it's kind of how these things go you get tied up in these things and there's always stuff going on below it and so there's deep ties to this group to Planned Parenthood and that's not surprising I mean this is how it rolls I I wasn't surprised about all this stuff but she's an evangelical Christian who grieves over the issue she grieves over the issue of abortion and so we're working through this and so she gets to this point and so does she walk into her employer she's got a significant job a high-level lady. Does she walk into her employer and tell her that she can't be on the board member because her employer is the one that asked her to do this? Does she say, I, I, can't, I can't be a board member? I, does she do that and jeopardize her career? That's option A. Or option B, does she just kind of go with the flow, lay low on this thing, go to a few board meetings, just try to grind it out. That's the predicament is move on down the road. That's kind of the predicament is. So she walked through this issue. She ultimately, ultimately she stood for truth. Ultimately she stood for truth. Here's the important thing. She didn't stand for truth with a sword. She didn't stand for truth with a sword. She stood for truth with class and dignity and elegance. And she ultimately refused the opportunity. She ultimately refused it, and she went in and just basically said, Hey, I know this may cost me something, but I'm just not the person to do this. I'm not the person to do this, and I know it may cost me something. So she did it with class and dignity. She held to truth and humility, and God responded. She was later told that she gained, actually gained capital in the organization for actually being willing to stand for something. That's an encouragement to you, but I want, to hear you, I, want, I want you to hear me here. It may not work out that well for you. She's in the deep south. You do this in D.C., you do this in Manhattan, it's going to cost you something. So what do we do about all of this? We're supposed to hold the truth in humility. And so Paul is telling us in this, in this, he's saying you're called to a dynamic life. The church's foundation is on the living God. It's on upholding truth. And those are difficult things. So Paul gives us these two foundations, living God and living truth. And so when you're called to this, what's the reprieve? Where do we go? What is the real foundation? What is the source of all of this in the church? And the answer to that is that the living and truthful God, He is the foundation of the church, but He's the foundation of the church through Jesus Christ. Christ is the foundation of the church. And so Paul launches into this beautiful hymn, this beautiful hymn in verse 16. It's marvelous. This is the most beautiful piece of Scripture in the entire book, in my opinion. He's telling us that Jesus is the foundation here. It's not the people. It's not the apostles. It's not St. Peter. It's not St. Peter. It's Jesus Christ that's the foundation of the church. And He has set the pattern for us. This is so important. Jesus is the most vivid, real, and important example of the living God who held fast to truth. 
He sets the pattern for us. Jesus is the ultimate earthly form of the living God in truth. He's the definition of these two things. So it means that He is the ultimate foundation of the church. That's why Paul closes this section with a, with a hymn on Jesus. It's called the Christ hymn. Paul closes this section in what, my opinion, is beautiful. is the most beautiful verse in here. He closes it with a Christ hymn. But the question is, why? Why does he do this? Why does he unfold this section this way? It's because he's belaboring the point that Christ is the foundation. He's the foundation of the church. He's the living God. He is the truth. He is our confession of faith. He is our confession of faith. So hear the marvelously concise Christological hymn. Hear the confession of our faith. Written faith written by the Apostle Paul in verse 16. He says, Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world. And he was taken up to glory. What is the mystery that Paul is dealing with here? The mystery is the person of Christ. And this poem is just an overview of salvation history. It's just an overview of Jesus' work on earth through humanity, but it has a missional thrust to it. It has a missional thrust to it. It's an overview of Jesus' work with a missional twist in the middle of it. So let's walk right through this, and I'm going to connect all of this stuff at the end. So just hang on. Part one tells us of this hymn, part one of this hymn, it gives us the nature of Jesus. It says he was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. We see the humanity of Christ revealed here. But then there's this word vindication. Do you see that there? Vindicated. What about vindication? Why does he utilize the word here? What is vindication? Here's another word. What are we even talking about here? What does it mean and why is it important? This is so important. This is the Christian faith. God, God's vindica- Christ's vindication is God's response to the crucifixion. There had to be a response to maintain Jesus' innocence. Or death would reign forever. Death would reign forever. God had to respond to the crucifixion. Jesus' existence on earth, it's not just the crucifixion, it's not just the penalty, but it's the vindication, it's the innocence. It's the innocence. It's so good. This is the nature of the mystery of the gospel. This is foolishness to people outside the faith. It's absolute foolishness. Christ manifested in the flesh. His death and vindication is the life of a Christian. This is the same pattern for us. This is the nature of Jesus. This is the part that makes the Christian life dynamic. We're called to be living people. We're part of living God. That's how God is known on this earth. We're called to hold, hold for truth. But everything, everything builds on top of Jesus Christ. There is a penalty for sin, which is death. But as a child of God, we're ultimately vindicated through Jesus Christ. Behold the splendor of the gospel. Behold the splendor of the gospel. Part one of this is the nature of Jesus. Part two is the effects of Jesus. The final verses here. This is so good to me. It says, here the, here the final three verses here. Paul says this. He says that Jesus was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in this world and he was taken up to glory. We see the opening section of the hymn, the nature of Jesus is, is the opening section is the nature of Jesus. But the closing sections of this hymn is the effects of Jesus. It's the effects of Jesus. We see this missional twist in this hymn here. Jesus is proclaimed and then he is believed upon. 
Do you see that right there? Why does Paul connect proclamation and believing and input this into this hymn? What does this have to do with anything? Why does he do this? He does it in order to show us that proclamation proceeds believing. Proclamation proceeds. It comes before believing. Proclamation is necessary for repentance and faith. Proclamation is necessary before repentance and faith. This church is called to proclaim the gospel. That's its mission. That's our mission. Christ is not just the grounding of the church, but He is the mission of the church. Proclaim, proclamation precedes believing. This is so critical. Here we go again. You read this and you go, here we go again. Paul's inserting the gospel into things. He just is inserting the gospel into stuff and he's advocating for gospel advancement. He's advocating for missions. And and you're going, why does he do this? I told you last week, he's a missionary before he's a theologian. Everywhere he writes, he's just right into the gospel. He's just always in there. So Jesus is the foundation of the church's dynamic vision for life. Do you see that? The church is framed by the living God under truth in order that we might stand under the authority of Jesus Christ and proclaim the gospel. That is not an easy life. But it is so dynamic. It's so dynamic. Live a life that is dynamic. Live a life that's grounded in holy truth, that's given by way of the living God for the purposes of gospel advancement. Live for truth. Live for Jesus. Live for gospel proclamation. Live to be mobilized. You have a purpose. It's grounded in the living God under Christ. You're called to a dynamic life. You're called to a dynamic life. Jesus' life was dynamic. His song was dynamic. His story was dynamic. His nature is dynamic. The effects of His work is dynamic. Paul closes the entire chapter out with Christ and His story because He is the foundation. He sets the pattern for Christian living. He sets the pattern for dynamic life. So much was accomplished by way of the Gospel. So much was accomplished by way of the Gospel. There's so much life and so much joy available to you in Christ Jesus. The church has a dynamic vision for life. It does. The church's foundation is a call to the dynamic life. The church under Christ is called to lead a dynamic. Great indeed is our confession of faith, our confession of faith in Christ Jesus, who was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in this world. He was taken up to glory. Let your heart sing. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world. He was taken up to glory. Blessed assurance, Jesus. Jesus is mine, born of the Spirit, washed in the blood. This is my story. This is my song. This is my story. This is my song. The church's foundation for a dynamic life. Living God, holding fast to truth under the authority of Christ. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father God, I'm, I'm thankful to you for the truths of Scripture. I'm, <clears throat> I'm thankful to you for the gospel 
I'm thankful that we're called in a difficult world to hold fast to truth. It's a high calling. It's a duty. It's a requirement of the Christian God. And so may we burn, Father. We know that as the days come and the hardships come and there's things in this world, there's challenges that it's only Christ. It's only Christ. We sang earlier that He will hold me fast. And so I pray for that. I pray for that, Father. I pray that we reflect upon the work of Christ, the vindication, the proclamation, how He was believed upon, how He was taken up to glory, how He was manifested in the flesh, and and all of these central truths to the faith, Father, the faith that we will now reflect upon the taking of the Lord's Supper. So give us hearts, Father, that understand the Gospel. Give us hearts that are able to reflect upon the truth of Jesus Christ, the unity of this church. And may we reflect upon our own hearts in this time, Father, and ask the difficult questions as, do we have faith in Christ? Has our hearts been changed by the gospel? So be with us now in this special time. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.